at the time we started this conversation, we were very much a home scenting company. We really did scent the air in your home. Our tagline was smells like home. So we were home and scent. But we realized that air care industry as a whole had a lot of opportunity in it. So we wanted to, you know, continue to scent your home and we'll always do that, but also think about other ways we could shape the air in your home. So in deciding to kind of pivot into that category, we realized how many things we were currently doing weren't working. Mitzi and Mike, and this is the Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios, a show for marketers, brand builders, creators, and anyone else who's trying to make waves online. We sit down with the experts and tastemakers behind today's up-and-coming brands, and today on the show, we have Scout Schmeigel, the Senior Brand Marketing Manager at Vitruvi. Vitruvi is a design-forward premium home-sending brand known for its diffusers that double as decor. And Scout's been there for four years, driving brand storytelling and campaign strategy as they've expanded and grown. Um, They've built their team from 10 to almost 40 now, and most recently, which is what we get into on the show, they went through a rebrand. Yeah, we talked about their whole rebrand and approached it from start to finish and kind of discussed the different uh, stages in the rebrand, starting with design, of course, and their packaging. We even get into social and how they archive their entire feed before they relaunch their rebrand. So. I think that was really interesting to hear someone who actually did that. Yeah, it was two years in the making. It was a long process. And I think a lot of people have the misconception that rebranding is just about changing your logo. But really for them, it was about future-proofing their business, being prepared for who they wanted to be as a brand 5, 10, 20 years down the road. So it was interesting to kind of get into the psychology of that. Yeah, and speaking of psychology, we talked about sonic branding, which Mm. is so mind-boggling to me. Like the sound of your brand and how it connects to what you want to market because they market air and scent and like how they rely on other senses like sound to do some of that heavy lifting for them. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I I agree. I feel like the the sonic branding thing is so intriguing, but at the same time, it's hard to get into it or it's hard to do it well. So I'd be curious if there's some products or brands that like come into that space and make it easier for us to do it. But right now it's either you work with a composer to do something original, which is not achievable for like social content, for example, Mm -hmm. or you work with stock music sites like Soundstripe or something like that, but you have to scroll through hundreds or if not thousands of different tracks to find the one that sounds right for that piece of yeah. content. Yeah, I think we need a whole episode on this. Because there's Coming a lot we can Spoiler unpack. alert. <laughs> Anyways, this is a great episode for anyone who's considering a rebrand or who wants to know what the process is like. Um, enjoy. It's a really good one, I think. All right. Here comes Scout. Scout, thank you so much for being on the Wave Social Podcast. We're so excited to chat with you. Hi, no, thank you guys so much for having me. I want to start at the beginning. So for those who may be unfamiliar, can you walk us through Vitruvi's origin story? How did it start and what was the landscape at the time for similar products? Yeah, so Vitruvi actually started as a Tumblr account about seven years ago. Our co-founder, Sarah, was in med school. She was studying global health and evenings and weekends was just really interested in natural living. You know, she was learning about how the products you use and the toxins in them can really impact health. 
So she just started blogging. Um, her and our co-founder, Sean, grew up in a really, really tiny town on Vancouver Island. So their parents exposed them to natural living and the garden and all of those things really, really early. So natural was always really integral to their lifestyle. But yeah, it was kind of this intersection of her degree and this blog she started. Um, and then really just the realization that the air care and the home scenting industry specifically was still super, super toxic. So at the time, you know, we had farm to table. Everybody started thinking about organic ingredients, what you put in your body. Then there was green cleaning. You know, people started to think about how toxic your cleaning supplies are. We saw brands like Method really take over that space. And then obviously clean beauty is still, you know, hundreds of companies every year from sunscreen to makeup to skincare. Um, But no one was really disrupting air, which is kind of funny because it's literally all around you. You breathe it in on a daily basis. So the air care industry specifically was still really, really toxic. So that's kind of what they leaned into with scent and, and how it can transform your home. I love that it started as a Tumblr. <laughs> Shout yeah, out to the all the Tumblr girls. Yeah. <laughs> I want to find it. I've never gone to look for it, but I bet you it's really interesting. Yeah, There's I'd be so There's probably a goldmine of like current social content on there that you could just repurpose. Oh, for sure. Right? I feel like it would go viral. Fast forward to a few years later and Vitruvi, I guess last year you decided to go through a major rebrand. So talk to us about what inspired that change. Yes. So the rebrand conversation started probably two years ago now. It's been a very long time coming. Um, There's definitely a lot of intersecting factors. I'd say the, the big catalyst was the decision to go firmly into air care. So, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time we started this conversation, we were very much a home scenting company. We had diffusers, essential oils, essential oil blends. We really did scent the air in your home. Our tagline was smells like home. So we were home and scent, but we realized that air care industry as a whole had a lot of opportunity in it. So we wanted to, you know, continue to scent your home and we'll always do that, but also think about other ways we could shape the air in your home. Um, So in deciding to kind of pivot into that category, we realized how many things we were currently doing weren't working. So for example, our tagline had the word smell in it. We wanted to do more than scent. Um, The way our site was designed was, you know, specifically around diffusers and oils and didn't really make sense for new categories. So that started it. And then it was such a, such a process of realizing at every stage that things that we were doing were not going to be future-proofed. So really started from the beginning. I think a couple of other things that were big factors, one was like packaging cohesion. So as startups grow very, very fast, we launch collections at different times with different looks and feels, different types of labels, all of these things. So another reason we did it is we really wanted to look at our whole assortment, you know, current and future at once and be able to make a design system that was cohesive. So you could see us on a shelf at Nordstrom or see us on an Instagram ad and know it was Vitruvi. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another one. I'd say like the last big one for me was just learnings, you know, as a marketer, I spend my days trying to get people excited about scent through a screen. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of feedback and a lot of learnings from our customer and a really big opportunity we saw with the rebrand was making it a little bit easier to navigate scent virtually. Um, and to do so, we had to make some changes to packaging, to the site, all those pieces. Yeah. And I want to ask a few questions about how you do that because marketing a scent is so challenging and it's so hard because it's like an intangible thing, but there's a feeling that's attached to it when you smell something. And I think you've done such a good job, um, even in this rebrand, of like really 
bringing that to life through digital platforms. So uh, maybe we'll start there. We, we want to, un- in this episode, we want to unpack the full rebrand and different components of it. But let's let's start with the visual direction of it. So just like, can you walk us through what the process was of narrowing down the design of where you wanted to go with the rebrand and like who was involved in that and how did you settle on like even, I don't know, typography and, and all that stuff like that is a huge decision. And I know people literally agonize over that for years. Um, so yeah, what was the process like for, for you? Yeah, it was, it was, like I said, it was a long process. It was about two years in the making. All my friends, you know, when I posted about it, when I went live, were like, really? Two years? But when you think about supply chain and everything from new bottles, which now come from Spain to a new site to all these pieces, it, it takes a very long time. Um, but the process was really cool. So we worked with a design agency out of New York called Are You Lead In? Um, they've done brands like Glossier Play. They did Merit. They worked with Google. Um, they did the MoMA Design Store. So they're this really amazing agency. Um, and the first step about two years ago was just immersing them in our brand. So they worked really closely with our founders, got to know everything about Vitruvi. They could probably give you the Vitruvi pitch better than I could. So that was the start. And then from there, they presented us with three really distinct directions for where the brand could go. Um, and it was really cool because we had, you know, our CEO and COO, our co-founders in there. We had our head of product design. We had our creative team, our marketing team. We had all these different teams in there and we all chose the same direction, which was really cool because very different, very analytical versus creative people there. And it was called A Sense of You and it was very different. The old Vitruvi was very neutral, very terracotta, very minimal. This was really colorful and expressive. It kind of played on the personalization and, you know, the emotion of scent um, and and brought it to life in new ways it was very like surreal and exciting and and cool so we went that direction kind of decided on it and from there then worked with their team to expand that out across packaging site design instagram stories print the font all of those pieces came from that so how do you think what do you think went into the that agency just nailing that direction like (laughs) i feel like that is a rare occurrence for everyone on a team to be unanimous like this is where we need to go so they obviously knocked it out of the park but what kind of conversations went into that that you think really gave them the info or the insight that they needed to to produce that visually when it comes to influencer marketing there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist the influence factor by the influencer marketing factory they talk about influencer marketing social media the creator economy social commerce and much much more they cover all aspects including the creator economy social commerce the latest trends the metaverse tiktok trends and that's just the beginning the influence factor by the influencer marketing factory add the podcast to your playlist right now great question i think i think one one factor was just pushing boundaries it was definitely the biggest departure they kind of had vitruvi as it was a little bit of an evolution a little bit further and this was the farthest so i think part of it was just taking a risk and us all being excited to propel the brand forward so i'm really i'm really happy they presented that direction but i think the biggest element was how deep we went with their team 
We had so many conversations around messaging and not just, you know, how do you market scent? How do you sell scent? But what does it actually mean to you? What does it actually evoke in you? And what we really got to at the root of it with their team is this, this idea of self-expression. You know, it's, it's not, we've never marketed our senses. This is going to cure your cold. This is going to help you sleep two hours longer. We've always really believed that it just makes you feel good. It transforms your mood. It transforms your day. So they were really interested in, in what it says about you, just like a personal fragrance, you know, your mom or your grandma maybe has worn Chanel number five forever. The smell of your home says something about you. It represents you. So that self-expression piece, they leaned into really heavily. And I think that's what helped them really nail it. That's cool. Amazing. How does imagery play a role as you've like expanded on the design side of things? Like I've even seen in your social assets and things like that when you're introducing like a new scent and like I love how you have like videos that kind of like share the feeling of like crashing oceans and things like that. Like talk to us about the process of like deciding how to visually represent what a scent feels like. Yeah, it's honestly, it's so important. You kind of touched on the intangibility of scent, but I say all the time, if I had the choice to do it all over again, I'd work for a clothing company. I wouldn't try to sell smell, but no, it's it's a fun challenge. Um, but yeah, the visuals are super important. We really try to use everything except scent to bring you into that world. So everything from sight to sound to the music to the words. I'd say the two most important things, one is our color gradients that we rolled out with the rebrand. So every scent now has a custom gradient that goes with it that helps to evoke that feeling or that mood. So for example, Pacific is my favorite scent. It's really herbal, kind of smells like the ocean. Um, The gradient for Pacific is like greeny blues. And then every gradient for every herbal scent we have is slightly different, but it's within that color palette. So, you know, it sounds really simple, but now you can see on a shelf, you know, it's called Boost. You know it's citrusy, the color on it is orange, and you can start to understand just by looking at it what it smells like. So the gradients were huge, and those are on our website, on our social, across everything um, that we do. And then honestly, the other piece is, is from our coffee team. Our coffee team is so amazing, and I think the way that they have gotten really specific in how they describe scent has helped create those universes as well, right? You can say... Mm this is citrusy and people get that, but why do they want it? Because our coffee team has like transported you to the Amalfi coast with an Aperol spritz in hand. It's probably cheesy. They'll probably hate this, but (laughs) they, they've really worked, you know, words and pictures together to create a universe that makes you excited to, to smell that aroma not just, you know, understand that it might be a citrus or a floral. Mm. That's awesome. And I guess like, I think most people, when they think about a rebrand or just brand in general, they think of visual elements and Mm -hmm. I'm, you mentioned music and I'm curious how much you've thought about music because similar to scent, obviously sound is intangible as well. Is there, how much do you think about music in like content and other, other contexts that connect to like color and, and imagery and stuff too? so much since the rebrand it's funny it's kind of the one element we had never really discussed super heavily as a brand internally and then we launched the rebrand and all at once we realized that we really needed to think about it so we talk about sonic branding a ton right now it's one of our biggest focuses as we continue to nail this new direction um so yeah i I wouldn't say we have a distinct 
sound yet as a brand, but it, it's something we're really excited to do. And I think that the goal would be that every single scent or blend universe or world that we create has a sound with it, has a destination with it, has a color with it. Um, I think it's really important to, to bring it all together. Yeah, especially when you can't smell it. (laughs) Totally. We're actually going to have someone on the podcast talking about sonic branding. But for anyone who's listening, who maybe it's like the first time they're hearing that terminology, do you mind walking us through like what that means to you and the team? Like how you're like you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but could you just take it a step further of like how you're exploring that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't want to butcher the definition, but at the basic kind of level, it's just what your brand sounds like. So can be everything from the music you choose to put in an ad. That's something we're talking about right now. We have uh, a really big sale that actually goes live tomorrow. The music that we use for a sale ad that's exciting and conversion-driven and enticing needs to be different than what we'd use in a top-of-funnel, really beautiful, really aspirational you know, lifestyle piece of content. So it, it's really just what your brand sounds like across different touch points. And then for us, it's really what that feeling evokes. So again, you know, Pacific as a scent that's supposed to smell like the ocean might have waves crashing. It might have a specific type of music. You know, we try not to get too cheesy with like bird sounds and such, but really the sound of your brand across multiple touch points and how that drives your purpose. I think that's so fascinating because it's so much psychology behind it. Like Mm. the marketing nerd in me, even when you're talking about like different hues that connect to different different scents too like there's psychology behind that like what does citrus look like what does citrus sound like like there's so much of that which I feel like maybe marketers are so oftentimes like in their day-to-day that they don't like pull back and think about that and think about like the it's almost like going back to the basics and defining that I think is really interesting what about What about like really practically? Are there like specific resources that you and your team are leveraging right now for music and audio? Like I think for people listening, I'm just assuming that they're like, what sonic branding? Where do I even start for that? You know? Um, So I'd be curious where, where you're starting. Honestly, I wish I had a better answer for you. Our team is working on this. We're literally just using the same stock sites that everyone's using. I can try to find the name of ours and flip it to you after this, but I don't think that we have figured out the formula yet, which is why it's it's a kind of exciting project we're working on right now. Yeah. But it, it takes a lot of time, even when we've worked with external you know, videographers and had them do out-of-house editing, to find the right music I know is not easy. And it honestly, I think it just takes hours on these stock sites to scrub and find and figure out a playlist and review it. So that's where we're at. If anybody listening has a tried and true <laughs> formula, please DM me. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad answer. I think that's probably comforting for a lot of people because yeah. I feel like because it's so much work to skim through those sites and find something that feels like it might possibly fit, I feel like it's even more overwhelming to think that you might have to go like with original composing or something like that, you know, which obviously sounds expensive and sounds time consuming. So there's got to be some like middle ground somewhere that we can all land on that just makes it easier. And my like social brain goes to like the fact that so many brands and people who are likely listening who manage brands, sound is like a, a bit of a limitation for them, even like when they're trying to post TikToks or things like that. Like there's less yes. access to different types of trending songs or whatever. But I think that like as I'm talking to you, like I just feel like it's an opportunity to define, you know, what sounds make sense for your brand and even like 
go the extra mile and potentially create them if they don't exist or find them if they are on a stack site or something like that. So it is like, I don't think there's a shortcut to figuring out what that is. That's a really good point too, is we know what's performing right now is trends, you know, Mm -hmm. throw a Harry Styles song on it, throw the new Beyonce song on it. Amazing. But yeah, there are those limitations from the legal side of things of what you can use with your content. So we're running into that too. How do you kind of convey that trend based upbeat, you know, current sound without using stuff you're not allowed to use? Um, it's tough. One actually other thing that's been interesting for us is we did a voiceover video for Amazon ads for the first time ever and our you know person who manages our amazon pitched it the whole brand team was like nope worst nightmare sounds cheesy not doing it we're not making a commercial like that and it performed really well and it was awesome so that was just again using a voiceover agency online got it done over the weekend and it was crazy how well it pulled that creative together and it's not something i ever would have tried a year ago Hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. wow curveball i know i know Um, So I want to switch gears and talk about your Instagram approach when you were going through your rebrand. You archived every single Instagram post before you relaunched your brand. And that's a really bold move. I feel like social media managers who are listening are probably shuddering because that's like, I don't think I've ever done that. It's so... It's like such a... It's often talked about, rarely executed. Totally. (laughs) So tell us why you chose to do that. Okay, before I tell you why, funny story there. When we decided to do it, there was not an auto archive feature. So our social and CX teams for months were slowly archiving like 10 posts a day. And then closer to the end, I don't know what our social person pulled. She sent it out into the universe. Instagram finally introduced a bulk archive feature. But that wasn't part of the beginning of this execution. So shout out to them for manually doing everything. That is a huge job. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. So that was funny. But really, we just wanted to create buzz and I think you know I see this a lot internally but we tend to do things quietly even when we launch products that are revolutionary in the category even when we do really exciting things we tend to shy away from being too self-congratulatory it's just not really part of our brand personality but for this part of the brief was like let's get people excited we're allowed to make it seem like a big deal so that was the prompt the team was given was just make a splash Um, and so this strategy was really to drive just buzz and engagement. And I think the best thing that we did with it was originally we were just going to archive it and then hope people talked about it. But we actually decided quite last minute to make a three grid that would exist. So we'd archive everything and then there'd be three posts because then there was an actual destination for people to go to and to engage with and to share and to comment on. Because otherwise you see an archived account, you're like, I wonder what's happening, but you can't interact with it. So that would be my biggest reco is make the splash, get people talking, but then give them somewhere to talk. Yeah, what was people's reaction when they saw that you archived all the posts? It was good. I think our average comments increased by 85% and our engagement went up by like 50% once we did that for the rebrand phase. So people talked about it. We were getting hundreds of comments. No one, I don't think, really guessed it totally right. I don't think people thought we'd do something as big as a rebrand. People were guessing new product or new brand color. But lots of responses, lots of excitement, overwhelmingly positive the funniest interaction we got actually was we asked people to guess what was happening. And this one customer said, oh, no, I hope it's not a new brand color, oh. which is funny because we didn't have a brand color at the time, like we, maybe black and white. But I thought it was funny because, A, our customers are as design centric as we think they are. It's so cool to me that they care that much about our packaging, about our you know product colors. 
So that was hilarious. And then once we revealed our new brand color, which is called Delicate Blue, it's like the color of air is what we say. She came back and commented and said, okay, never mind. I like it. That's so nice. I think it, yeah, I think our customers are amazing. And I think that's dedication to, to care and then to come back and comment. So lots of excitement from the community for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. So what, other than archiving everything, what was your approach on social to uh, making more buzz? You know, like you, you mentioned that you wanted to get people talking and get people excited. So then after that big move where people were kind of waiting in the wings for what would happen next, what did happen next? What was the rollout plan from there? Good question. So our rollout plan shifted week of launch as things tend to happen. We had planned out about a month of comms and kind of dripped out different elements. So, you know, first you were going to see our product at a lifestyle setting with some new messaging. Then you were going to see our new brand manifesto. Then you were going to see our new bottles. And then a week before launch, we said, you know, screw it, let's do it all on the same day. So we actually launched with a six grid uh, with the intention being that you could absorb and get you know, lost in the whole new Vitruvi universe all at once. So we had, you know, our new packaging, which incidentally was our most engaged piece of content. And our, our social manager took it in the office on her iPhone. So oh, that was cool to see. So we had our new packaging, our new bottles, our new tagline, our new brand manifesto. We had this big mood board that we actually physically made in office and film. So we had every kind of touch point and new element of the brand all go live on launch morning in a six grid. Nice. And Mm -hmm. in addition to like what you were posting and creating for yourself, I know that even before the relaunch or the rebrand, you had quite a sizable presence and not just through your own accounts, but through UGC and like, you know, content from creators and customers. But because you were rebranding and repackaging everything, you likely had to start all that from scratch. So how did you approach that? Like, how did you um, like kickstart that all over again and any learnings that you can pass along in terms of doing that process? Yeah, so that was definitely a bummer. Every single piece of UGC that showed an oil in it that we've ever had over seven years is now null and void. So we definitely prepared to need a lot of content. We obviously shot our own brand assets, but um, the the community was huge. So we have an amazing affiliate network. We call them the home team. It's about 350 super engaged community members. So our community team worked with them to time it to our launch date as well. I think we had about 250 people post. Uh, we had them all get our new packaging, all get our new product. We made these custom homebody sweaters that were limited edition that they all got as well. So we had a full influencer and affiliate push timed with launch day so that all that UGC would go up and kind of reset our archive as well. Wow, that is like a lot. 250 people, that's so many. Our team was emailing up a storm for sure. That's wild. I have seen the homebody sweatshirt. So like who is that only available to some of those like ambassadors and affiliates? So we made about 500, 500 to 700 of them. Um, And then, yes, our whole community team, so our whole 350 person affiliate team got them. And then they were available with orders on launch day uh, until they ran out. So it was, I think, only $45 was the threshold. So any order over $45 once the rebrand went live, got one of these sweaters and they sold out super quickly in a couple of days. Um, So they don't exist anymore, but it was also a bit of a test case to see how people interacted with merch, if they were excited, which they were. So definitely never say never in terms of homebody merch coming back. And you got a hat right now, right? 
we have a hat that goes live tomorrow with orders during the sale. Um, cool. It's like white and blue and super cute. I thought I saw that on social. Nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nice. Cool. And then I'm curious. You mentioned how you pivoted a day of to to like immerse everyone in the in the Vitruvi experience, which I think is makes a lot of sense. But then, obviously, you don't anymore have the same like longevity of excitement or of content because it, that all went out in one day. So what did the what did the four or five or ten days after that look like once you made that pivot decision? Was it just kind of like business as usual or? No, it was a great question. We actually planned our first 30 days. We had to scoot a little more content in there once we pivoted, but we actually planned our full first 30 days on post-it notes in the office to make sure that we really holistically cemented our new you know, positioning, messaging offerings. I think something that we can be guilty of, or at least I can be guilty of as a marketer, is assuming that everybody sees everything. Right. right. I assume if we sent you an email about Boost Blend on Tuesday, you read that. We don't need to talk about that again. But we know, you know, just from engagement numbers that that's not true. So we really spent the month bringing people the same kind of pillars of the rebrand, the natural element, the packaging element, our new messaging in, in new and exciting ways. So we did a lot of the same kind of message in different ways over that month. But the other thing that was cool is we actually launched a new product, two new products in time with the rebrand. So we launched a blend called Legacy, which is our new signature scent. It's the blend that our founder, Sarah, has been blending in her own home, just making herself for the last seven years. So that went live. We launched a new starter kit with our best-selling blends, including Legacy. So we kind of had those pieces to talk about after launch day two. We were like, okay, launch the brand, then talk about the blend, then talk about the kit. So lots to talk about for sure. Cool. That's cool. The Natural Habitat magazine. Can we talk about that? We, uh, yes. I feel like this really caught our eye because we've always kind of just had this idea in the back of our heads of how romantic it would be to do something in print, you know, just as like a passion project. We haven't done it yet, but we love that you obviously have a print element to, to the brand. So we'd love to hear more about it. Where did it come from? Where is it going? Yeah, so it's it's really cool. Content has always been you know, part of the Vitruvi DNA. So like I said, it started as a blog. Our co-founder Sarah actually wrote a book in 2019 called Essential Wellbeing, um, all about using different essential oils in your beauty, body, and home rituals, which is a big part of what natural habitat used to be. It was very like recipe based. So very organic for content to be a focus for the company. And then print was really just, you know, we wanted to have an additional touch point for our customers. We know that, um, you know, our brand and our customers interact with our products because they're so tactile. They love our packaging. They love the unboxing experience. So it was important to us to bring them something physical to hold on to. And we think they were really excited about it. And yeah, just we, you know, we hired a director of editorial and editor in chief, Sarah, about three years ago to kind of come in and run the mag and our internal comms. And she'd been bringing in such amazing contributors and writers. And we just had this wealth of amazing content. So it was just kind of, yeah, passion project, you know, something our customer was really interacting with. We were experiencing a lot of social growth on the Natural Habitat Instagram. So just wanted to kind of test what that would look like in print. Yeah, that's so fun. And it's such a gamble. Like so many people would like, (laughs) be like what's the ROI of a print magazine so I love that you guys are investing in that and you you produce it in-house don't you yes so our team did it in-house it was really fast turnaround they did such an amazing job it was kind of added into the calendar so they did it on top of everything else we were working on and yeah I think I think it's a brand loyalty play I also think if you need to 
pitch it, there's there's definite merits. You know, we know that people discover the brand through our content arm. So you can think of it as an acquisition tool. I know there's ways to the other brands, you know, our magazine's for sale, but there's ways that other brands have had it be a gift with purchase or, you know, part of your order if you're in loyalty. So I definitely think you can, you can, you know, find ROI if that's your goal with it. Um, Yeah. Cool. And as a fan, I was super excited to see that Shay Mitchell was on the cover. So how did that come about? I was excited too. Um, (laughs) We talked a lot internally about, you know, who the Vitruvi Muse is, who would be the perfect fit. I think, you know, we're such big Shay fans, you know, A, she's Canadian. A lot of people don't know that we're Canadian because we have, you know, the bulk of our sales are in the U.S., but she's Canadian. She's a mom. She's a business owner. She's really into decor. At the time, she had a TikTok series with her interior designer. So she was honestly just such a natural fit, and we were really big fans internally, and we had some connections to her team. Um, and honestly, like, she she's incredibly down-to-earth, and she was really game to be on the journey with us. So it happened really organically. We just kind of reached out. Wow. I love mm-hmm. it. I wish I could um, tell you the secret recipe, but... Yeah. Just <laughs> give us a great. phone number. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, given that you did all these pieces, like there was social at play and like the branding and packaging and everything, if you had to do it all over again, is there anything that you would do differently? Oh my gosh, so many things. You can't ask a marketer that. <laughs> um, like more time, but there's never more time. I think think one opportunity that we could have had would be to diversify the content we shot. So again, so lucky to have an amazing community that captured lots of UGC for us. We did seven photo shoots in five days to capture the rebrand, you know, samples, COVID production delays. So by the time we got all of our samples in house to shoot, we had a very tight window to shoot the campaign and then have it go live. And I think what we missed on was maybe some platform-specific content. So we had beautiful content for our website, but maybe not, you know, photography, videography that was geared towards social performance. Mm-hmm. So I totally. think we just needed more, and we didn't, we, we weren't able to do it. On yeah. that note, but also kind of a tangent, this is actually something I wanted to ask earlier, but you just reminded me. But obviously everything with the, with the rebrand and the launch was so polished even though the, mm-hmm. like you were obviously cramming photo shoots into <laughs> we love to hear it <laughs> not enough time um but like a platform like tiktok you know it's not as polished it's more like lo-fi and i know you have a presence on tiktok it, not the same footprint as your instagram per se but how are you exploring how to translate the the feeling and the polish of the brand on platforms like instagram into an environment like tiktok which is more like entertainment driven I would say the answer is we're just not trying to do it. Okay. The reason it took us a while to get on TikTok is because that was the problem. We were like, oh, we're, we're quite sophisticated. We're quite elevated. We don't really know how to do that on TikTok. And we were a little bit afraid to not do it. So we just didn't for a beat. And then we've kind of just said, you know, we don't have to be the same on all platforms. We'll always be Vitruvi. We'll always show up you know, within our overarching brand guidelines, but we've actually just leaned into experimenting on TikTok, taking ourselves a little bit less seriously, letting our social team run with, you know, the coastal grandma aesthetic, whatever (laughs) they want to do. So it's been honestly just a little bit of loosening the reins and being okay that you can adapt your brand identity to, you know, be specific to the platform without losing, you know, your core. Mm -hmm. That's great. 
I think that's the perfect approach. Not enough people are on TikTok because they're still kind of like yeah, needing like they have feeling like they need to have the perfect solution. So that's the way to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. That's honestly why I got on TikTok personally because I found myself wanting to say no to all of these ideas that were being mm. pitched, and I was like, oh, I'm completely falling behind. I need to understand the trend to approve the trend. So. It's been a bit of a personal journey, too, to try to figure it out. Same for us. Like, yeah. we've had to force ourselves to be on it, too, because, like, we we also see, like, client deliverables. Even some of our clients have been having to push us to be less polished, <laughs> which is, yeah. like, very hard as a marketer. Like, you're trying to get have things buttoned up and yeah. things like that. But um, it is, it's, it's a good challenge, I'd say. Are you, are you finding that you're resharing much of your TikTok content onto Instagram, or are you keeping them pretty separate right now? Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. No, we're starting. That's a great question. We're starting to dabble with it. I think where we're at right now is we're sharing it to reels, but not to feed. So it's kind of, we're baby steps. Um, but we're, at, you know, I think a lot of people are experiencing a bit of stagnation with the meta platforms, with performance. Totally. We're seeing way more growth potential on TikTok. So we are starting to dabble with bringing that less polished content into Instagram as well. And we're probably, yeah, one foot in. Nice. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. curious when it comes to your rebrand, like obviously it's, it's most of it's behind you, I guess, like the unveiling of it all is behind you. Um, and now that you like have some space to reflect on it in terms of like impact, maybe internally and externally, like what has what has been the impact of the rebrand in general? Like I it sounds like your customers are excited about, you know, a new look and feel. But beyond that, like maybe even internally, what has like what has the rebrand done for Vitruvia as a brand? Um yeah, maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, I think there's a couple things. One is given us a lot of areas to dive into. So, you know, as with anything, when you change every single piece of ad creative you have in your ads platform, when you change your entire website and user journey for your customers, when you change your fonts, your email system, everything at once, what we didn't get to do was kind of slowly test it for our Mm -hmm. customers. So we threw it all at them and then we got a ton of learnings back. So one thing it did internally was show us where to spend more time, where we need to optimize, where within our new brand direction, we have opportunity to improve and iterate on. So we're spending a lot of time just looking at the learnings from the rebrand and kind of tweaking it from there. And then I think the other thing that it did that we haven't really realized the full impact of yet is it set us up for success future looking. So again, a big reason we did this rebrand was because we are pivoting into the air care category, continuing again to scent your home, but within that larger umbrella of air care. So we just launched natural air freshener sprays, which offer that, you know, nice, easy one push fine mist experience, but without harmful ingredients. That was kind of our first product that was in that air category, more so than just diffusers and scenting. And we have a couple more drops coming down the pipe that we've set ourselves up for. So I think that'll be like the the impact we'll realize closer to the end of the year. Love it. Yeah, I feel Mm -hmm. like 
even though it's such a huge lift and it's obviously requires so many teams to be like on board and things like that, there is something like exciting, not just for customers, but for the brand and like longevity of the brand. When you go through that process, you're like setting yourself up for the next 10 years, which is always exciting to see. Absolutely. One question we always like to ask is around advice. So I think any of us coming up, we, uh, we have people that we look to for like mentorship or like leadership or inspiration. I don't know who those people were for you, but maybe there's one piece of advice in there somewhere that you received along the way that you could pass on to our listeners. Yeah. Um, okay. I have one that I followed and one that I'm trying to follow. Can I do two? Yeah, love it. definitely. Okay. The one that I've used to, you know, <laughs> seen fruition with is, uh, you know, lean into your weak ties. This is from the book, The Defining Decade. I'm not sure if you guys have read it. I haven't it's like a, heard of it. It's from this clinical psychologist. It's advice for 20-somethings. I read it when I was maybe 21. And she gave this anecdote about leaning into weak ties or those kind of loose connections. I think her example was she got sent a box of books by accident from some publisher and they let her keep them. And then later that publisher actually published her book. She reached back out to them. Nice. So it's kind of like, don't discount these relationships. And I honestly, as I get older, I, I believe it so much. It's, it's honestly why I work at Vitruvi. I really loosely knew Sean, our co-founder from university days and like a networking coffee. I've seen it just kind of work out more and more. The more you put things out there and the more you lean into those relationships and those networks. So I would say weak ties has worked for me and I will continue to lean into it. And the one that, you know, has made the biggest impact on my growth most recently, that is definitely still something I'm trying to learn I had a business coach tell me that if you, it sounds obvious, but if you tell people where you're going and why you're going there, they will rise so much higher than if you tell them what to do or how to do it. And so, you know, when you're moving fast, it's hard sometimes to pause and give context, but I think that context is really, really important to leadership. That's great advice. Another question we'd like to ask all of our guests is who's making waves right now and why? This can be another brand, a creator, a marketer whatever comes to mind. Ooh, okay, so many people. Okay, I think Fable is doing an amazing job growing right now. They're handmade dinnerware. I love them, that's why I drink more water now because I love their glasses. But they have grown like crazy on social lately and I'm seeing everybody else stagnant and I don't know how they're doing it. So whatever they're doing is working. I think Parade is doing a really good job too. Uh, I've seen them absolutely everywhere. I think that what they're doing with community marketing is incredibly successful. And I also think that their commitment to their brand values is what really sets them apart. They're very, very vocal about inclusivity and diversity and sustainability. Um, when you apply to be an ambassador for them, they actually ask you like, what organizations do you support? What causes matter to you? Do you volunteer for any organizations? So those brand values are really key to them. And I think that's how they can show up super authentically for their customers. Yeah. I see them everywhere. I feel like I get everywhere all the time on TikTok. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I don't see them very much, but my algorithm's different than yours. Yeah. We have <laughs> but we, we like fable for sure. We have their dinnerware mm-hmm. um, and we really like it. It took a long time to get it during COVID. It but was worth it though. Yeah. Yes. Worth the wait. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Well, that's it. Scout, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your insight. I feel like we don't get to talk about rebrands very often. Mm-hmm. So um, it's cool to see with the process in 2022, 2021. 
Um, and we're just going to be continuing to follow your journey. Yeah. And one quick question before you go, where can listeners connect with you? They can find me on Instagram. My handle is just first name, last name at Scout Schmeigel. Same on TikTok, but again, I'm, you know, a millennial trying to navigate it. So maybe start with Instagram. And if you end up on my TikTok, be gentle with me. <laughs> nice. Are you on Be Real by chance? No. What's Be Real? I don't oh, know. Boy. It's the new wave, I guess. Oh, see, I'm behind. Yeah. yeah. It's like an app that gives you a prompt. And at the prompt, you have to take a photo of whatever is like happening. So it'll take a photo of what's in front of you and you so like your front facing camera and your other camera and then it just posts it like you don't edit it or anything you just like no matter where yeah. you're at or what you're doing it's and really you can interesting only, you can only see your friends photos if you post in that window yeah oh my gosh so okay it, that just gave me it just stressed me out but I, I get it it sounds like it could be cool yeah it's definitely not a space for brands at this point but no. it's kind of nice it gives you back that like early instagram kind of vibe yeah, like, yeah, like Instagram doing right now. Yeah, it's cool. 2012. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Scott, this has been great. Thanks so much for sharing everything. And uh, we're really excited. And I know our listeners are going to love it. Amazing. Yeah, so nice to chat with you guys. Thank you so much for having me.